Welcome, everybody, to yet another overdue episode of the Lowdown Society podcast. This episode was recorded in Nashville back in late August last year uh, during my podcasting trip I took there. Today's guest is Brian Allen, um, a buddy who's just killing it in the session scene in Nashville, playing on such a big variety of projects and uh, much deservedly so because he's such a very diverse bass player. I can't wait for you guys to hear some of the stuff and some of the gear that he uses, which isn't necessarily like the Nashville standard. Without further ado, we're just going to throw it to myself in Nashville. Enjoy, Mr. Brian Allen. All right, welcome to the Lowdown Society. We are still in Nashville, Tennessee on our mega trying to make up for not doing enough episodes ever uh, stint. (laughs) And we are at the home of Brian Allen, who I've been wanting to sit down with really for years even before I had this podcast, because right on. one of my absolute favorite players in town, man. Well, back at you, man. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, brother. Absolutely. And uh, there's so much to talk about. First of all, um, I think I saw you recently did like a MI uh, sort of guest teaching thing. You were a student mm-hmm. there and the current head of the base department, Maurice Verloop. Mm-hmm, exactly. So you were just there uh, doing a little clinic thing, right? Yeah, I yeah. got to do one. Finally, uh, you know, all my years going back and forth from Nashville to L.A., I have uh, never really had a chance to have the schedule work out to be able to do that. So I went up for uh, uh, the NAM show two years ago, and uh, the timing of it worked out perfect. So it was nice to get back in there because I spent about 11 years there. 11 years that was yeah. my follow-up question so you were actually stu- more than that in la <laughs> or you were you were there teaching well i was in uh i guess to start with i, I went there as a student in 95 mm-hmm. and i did the four-year bachelor program oh wow and then i kind of took a year kind of in and out of there and then i came back as a pretty much a full-time teacher you know well teaching a couple of days a week i should say okay gotcha so and i did that for 10 years so really 14 15 years i was there Wow. Out of the 16 years of being in Los Angeles. I so. had no clue. Yeah. So can, what, what else can you uh, tell us about those L.A. years? Was it, what, were oh, you man. really active in the local scene, or did that amount of workload at MI kind of take up most of your time? It was a mix of both, for sure, because I was kind of a, a workaholic as a student. Yeah. You know, and as a, a, during the four years, I was really dedicated to studying. I mean, I, I'd be in the building at Musicians Institute for about 13 hours a day sometimes, most days, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a 24-hour school. So, you know, I'd go home, take a shower, come back and play in bands till 3, 4 in the morning and get up and go back to school at 8 in the morning. You know, it was, it was, <laughs> it was interesting. I, I always looked like a zombie and, you know, a couple of people were worried about me, but uh, yeah. I just loved studying, you yeah. know, and it was, it was a great time to do it. I was 18 when I went there, so it was like now is the time to you know just have no social life and go crazy studying so that was a great experience what was your uh when you were at mi because you know there's a lot of a lot of rockers there especially (laughs) i would assume in the 90s i I know so many swedish guys that went there but for sure that was uh, half the population yeah right which is (laughs) why i chose the school of minnesota minneapolis minnesota because i heard everyone spoke swedish at mi and i wanted to speak english when i left america (laughs) fair enough when i was 21 or left to go to america yeah so with all that rock and knowing how you play now did you seek out a lot of the jazz fusion stuff or did you find like-minded people there already i tell you when i first started i was in a metal band instantly Mm -hmm. you know because that was my my background really you know i was 
I, gr- I grew up playing rock and 80s hair metal, you yeah. know, and that was yeah. my jam. So, but uh, high school, I, I got introduced to jazz, you know, and that's where I started learning how to read on bass and everything. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then um, also I was in the drum line in high school, too. So that really got my reading chops yeah. together, you know. So yeah. I was, we had a crazy drum instructor, too, and he was writing all this crazy drum line material that was really difficult you know but boy it paid off you know because then it comes to putting rhythms to notes it was like oh wow okay i could do this you know so when you got to mi you have to really have been one of the few people that were at a reading level that high when you first got there it was such a huge advantage you know and i didn't realize it walking into that place yeah you know because really my technique wasn't great on bass and that was the thing i had to focus on the most to kind of you know excel at a better rate but um yeah i mean because all the classes it's just written notation material yeah so i could just breeze through all that stuff pretty easily you know just because i could read you know and again the technique was the only thing kind of holding me back at the time so i really focused on that and got my hands working together so but once those all kind of came together and at about six month point you know then it was like okay I could really start noticing a big difference in my playing. Oh, wow. So, because it was, you know, my my goal was versatility. Like, I wanted to learn a little bit of everything, you know, to be able to, whatever situation I was put into, I could at least, you know, dog paddle my way out of it. So, So you were in L.A. then from age 18, you said 11 years, to maybe age 29 or so? Yeah, pretty much that, yeah. And and then was it... Actually, no, I was 30... Oh, gosh. Um, 34, maybe. Something like that. How old am I now? I'm 43 now. So. Okay. <laughs> and I've been here for... So you've been here since? it was Since 2011. Yeah, and you so. mentioned being closer to your parents was... Yeah, that was a big part of the move. Yeah. Definitely. Because so... I, I always said I would never move to Nashville because everybody was starting to head this way. Yeah. And it's even crazier now, like everyone's telling me, you're the only one coming this way. Like, exactly. <laughs> you're uh, the only smart one. <laughs> uh, so when you got to Nashville, what was your first super honest uh, impressions? Uh, well, I'll tell you exactly. It was about just a couple of weeks before this time period right now. I yeah. showed up in the middle of July. Yeah. And I got out of my car and I was like, what have I done? Yeah. Just the oppressive, humid, hot, sticky, nasty, everything that yeah. I hate weather-wise was yeah. happening. Yeah. And I literally, I, the first words out of my mouth, what have I done? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I lived in Venice Beach. Oh, God, yeah. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. like beach weather all the time, you know, yeah. in L.A. And it was... Never too hot. Amazing. I loved it. Sometimes you know? too cold, but you put on a jacket, you're good. I'm a jacket guy. Yeah. You know, I love yeah. for jackets, and I can't do that here for yeah, half Venice the year. Yeah, is your place then. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. It was beautiful. So I really, yeah, that was tough. It was, And it's still tough to this day. Like, summer here is my winter. Yeah. You know, I don't go out unless I absolutely have to, you know. Yeah. It's, no, I think that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But, uh, you know, because the thing is, I was, I was supposed to go on tour when I first moved here so you had work lined up when you made the i did yeah but a week before i moved the tour got pulled and it was like a month-long thing Mm -hmm. so that was going to cover all my moving cost and all that stuff and i kind of had my budget planned out for everything so i'm like oh okay well that's a drag so i ended up picking up a, a pretty good session right before i left that extended my stay in la for like another week so i stayed at a friend's house and you know just kind of had a 
I had like nine bases and a suitcase yep. <laughs> in my car. Yeah. That was all I had. Everything else had already been shipped here. Yeah. So none of my belongings were with me. And I was just like hanging in LA and I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. You know, yeah. so I did the session. Everything was cool. And then, uh, yeah, I drove out here over three nights, three days, you know, and I had to pretty much drive at night because it was hot everywhere. It was like yeah. 110 degrees everywhere. Yeah. You know, so it was just crazy hot. So drove at night and then, yeah, pulled into Nashville and I was like, and all my friends that I was supposed to go on the road with, they all just went to go visit family because there was nothing to do here. Yeah. So, and most of my other friends were on tour with people or working, you know, and so yeah. basically nobody I knew was here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, so, a, that's a big country touring yeah. You're, you're making a lot of your money for the year right then. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, wow, this weather's awful. I can't just go hang out somewhere without sweating, you know, a ton. And now I don't know anybody really. You know, I had a few guys, so I reached out to them and they're like, yeah, man, come downtown and hang out. And that scene is just rough, man. It's yeah. just like hang, playing is one thing, but hanging in there while yeah. watching a band play with all these convention people wearing khakis and their yeah. name badges and they're all just belligerent and they're, everybody's running into you and you know, nobody, yeah. I was like, if one more pair of khakis runs into me without saying, excuse me, I'm going to lose it. You know? So I couldn't really like just go hang downtown and be cool without, you know, wanting to play too, you know? So, yeah. But uh, also the producer I work with a lot here in town, Dave Cobb, he moved out here around the same time as well. Mm -hmm. So, which was great too, because I was like, well, we, we did, we were starting to do some work, you know, we were, our work was building in Los Angeles with him. I had no clue that because Dave Cobb is quite the celebrity around town nowadays or around the world, really. Yeah. As a producer. Yeah, um, he's, uh, he's blown up. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. So I didn't know. So you were friends with him in L.A. Yeah. And you guys were both sort of young guns coming here together. Then. Yeah. Well, we did a Jamie Johnson record out in L.A., mm -hmm. and that's kind of what put Dave on the map, yep. you know, as, a, as far as like a quote-unquote country producer, yep. you know, and... Uh, Is that the one with the In Color on it? Yeah. yeah we okay. didn't do that track, because he basically, he did a record in Nashville, and then like two weeks later, he was like, I want to cut another record yeah. with L.A. guys, and just yeah. to see how it goes. So he just came to L.A., and... You know, luckily I got the call for that, which I wasn't known as a country bass player at all. So yeah. I was kind of freaking out and going, okay, well, I guess I'll do a country session. Yeah. You know, and it happened to be Jamie, who's one of the most prolific songwriters I've ever met. He really is. And the voice cool is just too. haunting. Yeah, yeah, man. He's he's a he's a hang. Yeah. You know, for sure. And the thing that took the longest in between songs was picking another song because he had so many demos. Yeah. And they were all amazing like he'd be like well what do you think about this one and we're all just like oh my god yes let's cut that yeah and he's like well i got this other one and we're like oh that one's even better yeah you know and so it was just nuts it, so we i think we cut about 12 songs and they got put over two records the lonesome song and then uh, the guitar song oh wow so i had no clue yep yeah, I, you, I actually didn't go and look at your all music before I did this interview, which I normally do. <laughs> That's so you, all right, man. So you might have to name drop yourself. <laughs> uh, One of my favorite things, not. That's, that's, uh, that's a great story, man. So, yeah. so Dave Cobb and you come here about the same time. And what mm -hmm. does he get into originally that he lets you be a part of? Um, in L.A., it was just kind of just random stuff, mm -hmm. you know, just... Uh, you know, developing artists, his, his connection with Jamie was Shooter Jennings. He had mm -hmm. worked with Shooter on several things mm -hmm. and, uh, which I wasn't a part of, but we did, um, we did a few things. We did a secret sisters record as well before I moved out here. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, before he moved out here as well. So he was kind of getting to be known, and they and T Bone Burnett picked them up. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of interest, you know, through the T Bone reference, which, you know, there was a little bit of a producer <laughs> butting of heads there. But yeah. you know, it's uh, it ended up being all good, and you know, the Secret Sisters are great. You know, those, those girls are awesome, and uh, but uh, you know, and then we just started doing some bigger, better things once, especially once Dave moved here and, you know, kind of got things going. And it was, it was a little slow at first, that first year I ended, I ended up actually, he uh, hooked me up with Rich Robinson from the black crows mm-hmm. and I toured with Rich for about nine months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was sort of your first, that was my first road gig and know, road gig. Yeah. Out of Nashville, yeah. you know, which was via New York. Actually, we flew to New York and toured from there. Yeah. So, but a cool experience. I had to learn about 40 songs in two days which was nerve-wracking, but yeah. uh, I'm like, what else do I got to do? <laughs> but that's <laughs> so. fun stuff on bass because the, the, the little Black Crows I know that I've played, there are certainly points in the song where you hook up with the guitars, but there's also yeah. that looser 70s. Exactly, yeah. It was a P-bass gig all day, Yeah, you know, which yeah. Was just, it was fun, definitely. Wow, what a great first gig to get here, even though it was a New yeah. York gig. Yeah. But I've never sort of associated you as being quote unquote, because here in Nashville they have that thing where you're a road guy or you're a session guy. Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. But you've you've pretty much been a session guy f- uh, the most of time of the time, right? Not really, man. I've it's I've kind of tried to balance both somewhat, uh-huh. you know. And yeah. luckily, have done that, you know. Right now is the the, the past two years. I got to say is the most I've been home. Yeah, you know. So it's. That's been nice and just doing the session thing. But uh, up until, what, 2018 and then, yeah, the past two years, I, I haven't done really any road stuff. What, but, were, um, what were some of the road stuff you did prior to 2018? Um, well, Rich was one, obviously. And then um, I was a music director for this band called Miss Willie Brown. It was mm-hmm. a two-female-fronted band, and, uh, and they actually started in Venice Beach. And okay. we all moved out here, too. So that was there was a big culmination of, oh, they're going out there. Okay, now he's going out. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. okay, fine, I'll go. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Plus, I'll be closer to family, and that'll be great. So yeah, you know, so that's kind of what all kind of funneled in to Nashville. But um, and we toured on and off for a few years, and uh, they got a record deal and everything, and their single came out, and you know, nothing really kind of came of it. So one of the singers kind of decided that was enough for her, and yeah, m- decided to move on. So. And that was all good, you know. It's like the parting of the ways. But, yeah, yeah. And then pretty much right after that gig, literally from that ended in January, I think December or January, and then uh, in April, April first of the following year, I can't remember exactly what year. I want to say twenty fourteen. No, that can't be right. I'm so bad with dates. Sorry. No, no worries. I'm sure nobody's <laughs> I need sit- to get my, I'm uh, sure nobody's sitting with a calendar listening to this. I'm sure they're doing dishes or changing strings. Yeah. Or- I need my Facebook reminders. Yeah, you yeah, know, right. like what did I do? When was that? Okay. Yeah. No, it was probably twenty thirteen. That sounds right. So and then I got the gig with Robin Ford. That just came from a phone call of a good buddy of mine, Casey Wozner, 
who's a great artist himself and yep. guitar player, drummer for Kebmo. He's kind of a ridiculously talented dude. So, <laughs> but uh, he just called me random one day. He was like, "Hey man, you play upright bass, right?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Are are you good?" I was like, "Well, sure, yeah." You know, he's yeah. like, "Well, Robin needs a guy." I was like, oh, "Okay, great. What's up?" He's like, "Well, I'll put you in touch with him." So you know, we just kind of emailed for a while and he sent me the music and i learned it and he's just like cool man um our first gig's april 1st in italy you know we got to go to rome and start a month-long tour so i talked to robin one time on the phone and you never play he never heard you play in person he never heard me play in person luckily one of my old students travis carlton who's a ridiculous bass player mm -hmm. la guy who's from Nashville uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, Larry Carlton's son and, you know, just all around great guy. He, uh, he was in Robin's band for like five years prior. Gotcha. So he told Robin, he's like, Oh yeah, get Brian. He's your guy. So Robin wouldn't gotcha. question that, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. cause Travis is solid, man. He's, and he's not going to refer anybody, you know, that he wouldn't think could cut it. So, but, uh, so yeah. And then, uh, Robin totally trusted him and it was just like, we had one little phone call and, you know, and yeah, that was it. I didn't really meet Robin until we got to the hotel in Italy. You know, <laughs> I was like, so this was was this uh, this was a four piece, right? You and Wes Little. No, this was before Wes. Before Wes. Yeah, it was. Uh, There's a guy named. Um, oh no, um, Tony. Oh gosh, I'm spacing on Tony's last name. He's an L.A. drummer, and. Um, great guy great drummer and then ricky peterson on keyboard oh wow which is like come on you know next week i am getting together with his brother ah there Saint you go paul yeah yeah i love paul too man he's a great yeah. cat yeah he's he's <laughs> as far as playing funk bass with a pick oh he, yeah he's forget about it yeah I've, <laughs> I've i've heard him play since i went to school in minneapolis in 1994 and he would play the clubs sitting in with prince's guys and i would just fall over that's so awesome man. yeah anyways yeah. Yeah, I so, digress. you know, I met Ricky Peterson. He was an instant brother. You know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, as far as musicianship goes, there's, no, there's nothing better, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, and then uh, we have our first sound check, and uh, I'm like, okay, cool. We kind of run through a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then <laughs> the most difficult song I had to play, because it was an all-upright gig, 100% upright. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one gig, the one song that was kind of like had the most motion to it and everything, he's like, you know, let's do this down in a uh, half step. So I oh. lost all my open strings. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I going to do, complain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, man, let's do it, you know? And yep. it worked out. So A-flat became my friend real quick. Oh, wow. You know, I was like, whew. That's a great lesson for anyone listening, really, is, you know, and I have this talk with people, too, about the national number system. And and, you know, you get to rehearsal one day and the female singer is like, oh, I'm still having a cold. You guys want to do it half down. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. obviously, guys that go to jazz school get real good with playing everything in 12 keys and stuff. But yeah. when you rely on open strings and stuff like that, especially guitar players, yeah. there's no more valuable skill than the one you just talked about. That's for sure, man, because uh, otherwise it would have been rough. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a bad night for everybody. So, so <laughs> how long uh, were you with our buddy Wes on drums on the Robin gig together? Oh, man. Um, well, I was in Robin's band for about six months, mm -hmm. and then – we lost the guy whose last name I still can't think of. I feel awful. Um, Tony, we think. It's definitely a Tony. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sorry. Um, I stayed up too late last night. Um, 
And then, um, so yeah, Robin calls me, excuse me, and he's like, I need a drummer. I got a couple guys in mind. I was like, don't call anybody. I got a guy. Because mm-hmm. once was one of the first drummers I met in, in Nashville yeah, with um, through Dave Cohen, the great yep. piano player. Yeah, uh, I don't you know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, and uh, he was like, okay, cool. So, got Wes on the gig. <laughs> the first show that we play is down in Dallas. And uh, Robin had messed his wrist up. Like, he had pulled the tendon. And the tendon actually pulled a little piece of bone out from his wrist bone and he's playing a show and he's playing a show and he's like man oh geez and because wes i pulled basically wes off of a country gig a joe nichols gig yep and i was i remember this yeah Yeah. i was like come on man it'll be great you know like we're playing we're going for it like we get to open up and stretch out and do all this stuff yeah you know so (laughs) i I convinced him to come to the dark side and you know (laughs) yeah and man Robin just couldn't cut it another night. You know, we literally did one show, and he's just like, "We got, we drove overnight to up to Saint or Chicago, I think." And he was just like, "Yeah, I just can't do it," you know. And Wes is looking at me like, "Dude, like, really? Like, I just left this. Luckily, he got back on, you know, before they actually had a full time person take over for him. So he was able to jump on board with Joe Nichols for a few shows. So (laughs) that was kind of on and off for him for a minute. I felt awful, but what are you going to do? You know? Um, and then Robert got better and we, we, uh, gosh, probably five or six years. Yeah. That's, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've hung a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Been in many countries, many, many airports and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I was. We were just talking before I turned the recorder on. You guys played my little tiny hometown in Sweden. Yeah, which is in a corner where no big highways <laughs> go by. Even you know, it's Absolutely. literally a corner. Yep. Uh, Beautiful place. Thank you. Yeah, I I miss it now and then, and then I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, when it you know being a fellow bass player, uh, I I find Wes Little to be my favorite drummer in this city. And mm-hmm. this city is full of some of the world's finest drummers. And For sure, man. As you know, as a bass player, when a, when a drummer plays, you know, when you play with a drummer that you don't quite like, there's only one place in the pocket that works. Yep. Maybe you're like, oh, I have to play just a tidbit ahead for it to feel right with this guy or a little yeah. bit behind. With Wes, his pocket, this is my term, his pocket is so wide or so deep mm-hmm. that wherever you put your note, unless you put it out of time, yeah. It's not going to feel bad. No. Right? Yeah. And uh, I saw you guys at 3rd and Lindsley here uh, in town with yep. Robin. And I certainly love the upright bass. I, I, I play enough to get by on a ballad when an artist needs it, but I'm mm-hmm. not an upright guy. Yeah. And uh, the only time in my life where I in person heard an upright bass solo did you see this meme lately that went around about every time there's an upright bass solo, it's like, it's like a giant whale <laughs> t- takes a yawn or something, <laughs> whatever it was. But the only time I've been in person, I was in my hometown in Sweden, maybe when I was 20, mm. and Niels Henning Ørsted Peterson oh, was playing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was this close to the bass, and I'm this metalhead, 18-year-old, 20-year-old. And he played, and it like, changed my life because I was this close. Yeah. And 
he played at that time. I remember normally up speed is not necessarily the thing that blows my mind, but sure. he played something so fast that I go, there's no way that's an upright bass. There's no way he's human. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah. As far as dexterity goes, I think he's, yeah. he's got it. Hands yeah. down. Uh, but <laughs> you played a solo that night at third and Lindsley that I thought after Neil's heading solo is my favorite upright solo I've ever heard. Oh man, come on. Yeah. That's, Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah, you're really, welcome. It was just... That's insane. It had balls and it went places and it really felt like you sang it the whole time. You know, right there was on, nothing man. that felt like technique only. It was just... I was just blown blown away by it, man. It was oh, so man. cool. That, I can't ap- and it, appreciate that more. <laughs> it was like... It was like a... It was like a rock bass player played an upright with attitude but with jazz language. And right it was on. like... Then I figured out what it is that is you that separates you from the rest of us here in town. And that was a cool moment, man. Right on, man. Yeah, that's that's and that's exactly how I approach music. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I try to always use the aggression, you know, when it obviously it's appropriate from the metal experience that I've had in life yeah. and study the jazz stuff and try to have a conversation with that. You yeah. Know? So yeah. <laughs> so if we hop from from that experience, I had a third Lindsley with you playing upright with Robin Ford, but really laying in it. And I mean, your face was red, sweat was pouring everywhere. It was glorious. Oh yeah. It was a lot of physicality went into it. Yeah, it's always a rock show, man. So from <laughs> that, uh, we have to jump to the Jonathan Davis. That seems like the the right segue. You playing an upright really hard, but yeah, you have been out with Jonathan Davis. Um, playing a lot of festivals it seemed like big metal festivals big time yeah and you're a guy on an upright playing metal festivals you guys made a record prior to this right as well jonathan did jonathan did yeah it was a kind of a 10-year process for him the bass player he used was uh uh miles mosley Mm -hmm. um is that right uh no that's not right jeez another name i'm spacing on um people can google yeah yeah great bass player anyway he's killer what's the name of the album if people want to google it's um (laughs) jonathan davis um oh my gosh really oh it's it's black labyrinth okay yeah so so, yeah the jonathan davis record is called black labyrinth yeah so it's a it it was a, a an interesting learning process for that record because there was so much synth stuff happening and you know the bass he would use the bow a lot with a ton of effects so it was kind of hard to figure out what was what you know in the learning process I'm it like, was like a composite sound almost yeah yeah you know and a lot of a lot of layers and our keyboard player had five keyboards and we had a violinist and he played guitar too and we had a guitar player and then, you know, I'm playing upright and using the bow a lot, actually, you know, and that's why I have this ridiculous pedal board that's sitting in front of me right now. You know, it's got a, I still even have the tape from the stage, <laughs> Jonathan Davis stage left. Yeah, I, I tape was on there. <laughs> I was going to ask because I saw you were pretty good with uh, social media updating during that tour. So I looked at all of it. Yeah, and I just, that's because of Ray Luzier. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he is a social media guru. So. It seems like all drummers are way better at promoting so themselves better, than we man. are. And he's just like, come on, man, you got to get on the Instas. You got yeah. to post. I'm like, yeah. fine, okay. So. That's, that's Ray Luzier from Korn, the drummer who was on uh, the Jonathan Davis solo tour as well. Yep. So... Throughout the night, did you play any clean upright, or was it always 
There was always something on. Okay. As far as that goes. Um, what was the most interesting things you did throughout that show as far as... Uh, as far as sounds go, well, well, you were playing with a bow, and if somebody heard it, they would never guess that it was you bowing it upright. I loved using the wah mm -hmm. with the chorus and a phase and a distortion with the upright with a bow. That's just wicked, you know. And then you get some delay going too. I mean, the, the culmination of all that, and a lot of the times the octave pedal was pretty much always on, mm -hmm. which was just awesome even in the lower register it's still tracked you know but the game changer which is the pickup that's on that bass it's a magnetic pickup oh and yeah the, it's got screws in it much like a it's sort it's, of a filter tron than a guitar or something it's the poles you know in a magnetic yeah. pickup so. yeah but um yeah man uh, until that moment that i got that pickup i, I was actually stressing out so you want me to get my oh no worries <laughs> all right sorry about that um it's a guy in portland makes these it's his name is crevo crevo c-r-k-r-k-r-i-v-o and C-R-I-V-O. he actually came to soundcheck our first show was in portland funny enough and he came to soundcheck dropped it off you know i paid him on paypal and i was just like you want to come to the show or anything he's like no man i got the kids tonight so i was like yeah. okay man well thanks for the pickup and so in production rehearsals you were making all these sounds without that pickup. That's right. And I was stressing out. I actually wrote on my pedal board how many steps away from my amp I could be without having oh. feedback constantly. Oh, wow. You know, so I was kind of stressing out, man. And it was like, I'm not sure if this is going to be great or not, you know. But um, come to find out, because I was, was going to use an electric upright yeah. and just say forget about it, you know. But the upright was a thing, you know, it's an aesthetic. And luckily I have this Chadwick bass, which is easy to travel with. And, and yeah, it sounds good. And, but yeah, I got this magnetic pickup, man. And it really, it changed everything. I, I actually laid my bass down wide open in front of my amp and walked away. forgot it was wide open and came back like a half an hour later. So you were only using that pickup. That's the only, I only had the other one on there for backup. Okay. Gotcha. In case things went south. But uh, yeah, it was, that changed everything. I could literally be as loud as Chris Nicks on guitar, you know, yeah. which was awesome. Because Ray's back there. He's not shy no, as no, a drummer, he, man. He's a basher. Drummer. Yeah. So uh, I, I had to step up my game big time. And that, that really, that saved the day yeah. big time. So I couldn't, couldn't say, you know, better things about that pickup. So my natural follow-up question then is, because I thought of this, I think I saw you guys coming through when I lived in L.A. already. Yeah. Coming through Inglewood, maybe, and playing the Forum or something. We did Ozfest. a yeah, we did an Ozfest New Year's Eve gig. Uh, yeah, that's what that was it. Yeah, and I almost went because a buddy had tickets. Uh huh. And uh, I looked at the rest of the lineups. Lineup. So, <laughs> what was the vibe like backstage with on metal festivals with you and your upright? <laughs> there has to be some good shit there. Nobody really. <laughs> I think everybody just kind of looks at me like a. I'm maybe lost. Yes, you know? that was my point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any tats. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have black hair, and I, I do wear black, at least, you know. Yeah. But other than that, I don't really fit the bill. Yeah. You know, and I'm setting back, and I'm backstage, I'm, I'm setting up this thing, and people are just kind of looking at me like I have three heads, you know. Yeah. So it, it's, it's always kind of funny. But uh, I, I did get a compliment from Marilyn Manson's uh, bass tech. You know, yeah. he's just like, man, that sounds great great tone yeah you know and that was kind of it you know yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, people dug it. They always was like, I can't believe you're doing that on an upright bass because there's a lot of 16 note passages yeah. in that music. And it was, it was hard. That was a hard gig physically. Yeah. You know, I left that gig with Popeye forearms. You yeah. Know? It was, it was nuts because the second night I threw my back out because, you know, I'm not just going to stand there. I'm an upright bass guy, you know, yeah. I'm, I got to get into it. So I'm like rocking the bass back and forth and, <laughs> I wasn't used to it. So it, and that thing is the Chadwick's are really heavy. Cause there's a lot of, you know, extra yeah. wood and all that, but, um, it got away from me a little bit. So I reached, I, I was kind of twisted and I reached the base of racket around too quick and used my lower back. And yeah, so I, I barely got out of the bunk the next morning. <laughs> I had to get it like a deep tissue massage. It was, it's really, I'm getting old. It's awful. So, <laughs> well, well, I'm older than you, so yeah, I, I feel your pain. I lately, which the listeners know, I've been since I moved to LA, I've been uh, buying a lot of used earlier uh, '80s Yamaha BB basses. Oh, cool! The Nectars, because I grew That's up with a lot of guys that played those, and now I don't play country much anymore, and I've really changed out my instrument collection gotcha. to sort of suit more what what you know, 19 year old me was into. <laughs> and but some of them are heavy as hell. <laughs> Yeah. Sound amazing, though. It's worth it. But that's yeah. it, man. Yeah. If you can sit and play them, that's great. Yeah, you know? which I, I do a lot. So, world. Uh, before we dive into more like uh, career talk and session talk, because I have more questions about stuff you've played on in the last few years. Sure. Since we are talking about pickups and gear and heavy basses, yeah. we are lucky enough to, my favorite place to interview somebody, we're sitting in your bass room. So, if we swing around here and look at I have a pretty good idea from the socials, <laughs> from which bases you might be playing the most. But I almost identify you as with one of those Saratogas. Yeah. I see you have MTDs that cost a lot more money. Oh, yeah. But you ha those Saratogas seem to be what I see you with the most. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was kind of Michael's vision of a base for Nashville. Yeah. You know, as far as like the high-end boutique you know, basses go, that's kind of like the jazz bass thing or the P bass thing. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, funny enough, man, like my main recording bass has been the Saratoga PJ five string. And this is what does most of the country session, like the modern stuff. And, uh, I will take a cell phone picture of that and put on our socials for oh, the cool. web podcast, but it is, it has Bartolini pickups. Yep. And it looks like a three-band EQ. Yeah. Bass mid-treble and then passive-active switch. I love the black. Uh, oh, the yeah. metalhead in me is a huge <laughs> fan of black hardware. Yeah. I've ordered that on a few custom bases and got made fun of by really? the person that I ordered it from. Oh, man, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got a alder body with a maple burl top with a uh, toasted maple neck and a bird's-eye board. Yeah. And that wood combination is on... Three of these bases now, the MTDs mm -hmm. I've got. So it's just uh, even Michael said uh, that's one of the best wood combinations he's heard in a while. So it's uh, it's been a thing, and it's just really focused, really clear, mm -hmm. with a lot of depth in the low end and really clear treble. Mm -hmm. So and it looks great. And it looks great. Yeah. So that's sort of the number one session, Nashville session bass. As far as the modern stuff goes, yeah, yeah. for sure. As far as 
pretty much 99.9% of everything I do with Dave Cobworld is this 79P bass. Okay. This is a interesting bass because it's got a jazz neck, but it's labeled precision. Mm-hmm, I see that. And it's, you know, got all the lacquer shaved off the back and it really just feels amazing. It's an, and a, it's a great neck. And pretty high action, it looks like. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, and it's got Seymour Duncan pickups, which, which are, I which f- Seymour's, you know, I don't. Okay. They're one of a kind. Yeah. And, uh, I bought this off of a buddy in my in uh, Los Angeles, gosh, years and years ago. Yeah. Fabrizio Grossi, and um, he uh, he had these pickups custom made, so they're really they're literally one of a kind pickups. Okay. And I don't know what it is about them. They're so special though, and I honestly I can't find another P bass that sounds like this thing, and it just just has. I don't know. <laughs> it's just got a little extra something that's just yeah. amazing. So it's it's got Seymour Seymour P pickup and it's a jazz neck labeled precision, which is wacky as hell and it's brown. Yeah. I it's... might take a picture of that one too. You'll have to <laughs> help me remember what to take pictures of. Absolutely. Uh so between those two, that's that's really the, that's my work horses. Those two bases. Those two bases. And they sort of couldn't be more different. Uh oh, yeah, they're night and day. Yeah. yeah. rest of his sort of collection here is there's a few what looks like sort of there's a vintagey jazz bass well funny that's actually a newer one it's uh talking about this one i was talking about the sunburst oh the sunburst oh yeah sorry yep that's a 71 yep and that's actually the last bass i bought in los angeles before i moved Mm -hmm. and uh Always makes me think of L.A. every time yeah. I play it. That's a great, great jazz bass. It's just, you know, when you think of a jazz bass and you hear that bass, that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. You know? It's great. I've always wanted a 60s, but, you know, I've waited too long. And, yeah. You know, I don't feel like selling my car to get one, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm looking for an early 70s myself right now because I've, n- I've owned one. I owned a 66 jazz when I was 18, and I put on 50 through 110 on it, and the neck bowed like crazy. And I'm oh. like, this is a piece of shit, and sold it to a buddy for probably 400 bucks. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, ri- yes, I admitted that officially. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, so, but I, you know, I'm looking at a 73, 74 jazz somewhere in there now, sure. just pandemic itch. Yeah. And it's, it's at a price point right now, which is still cheaper than a lot of custom bases and stuff. Oh, like for that, sure. So. Yeah, I think that the whole, you know, vintage thing the, the prices are coming down a little bit yeah you know because i mean a 62 stack knob used to be i've seen them up to twenty thousand dollars you yeah. know and now they're kind of in the 15s yeah you know? so I'll, I'll wait till they drop another five maybe <laughs> so do you ever uh do you ever use your rickenbacker on a national session i have but for a rock thing <laughs> yeah 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 obviously you know so but man what a tone i love yeah. that bass and uh, i actually i tried about i don't know five or six of the rickenbackers and that was the loudest one, so I, I bought that one. Loud is important. Yes. <laughs> and another thing before we stop gear nerding here, because there's a lot of fun bases to talk about, but I uh, see you got two of Chopper's bases. Yeah. And I hung out. When he first started making those, I hung out in his office, and 
was really, really blown away. And I can't really tell you why I never bought one because I was blown away when I tried them. Yeah. Uh, great, great bases. Yeah. Really clear, focused. I mean, it's he's a, yeah he's he's hit the mark for sure uh chopper anderson it is right that's right he was a session guy in nashville and played in reba mcintyre's band which was at the time in the 90s early 90s the biggest gig you can get mm-hmm. and he makes his own basses with a very secret preamp in it and they're absolutely fantastic and a lot of the nashville guys own one or two of these yep um and before I forget it, in my ADD brain, there's a Reba McIntyre record called What If It's You from the early 90s. Hmm. And uh, on that, the road band plays on the whole thing, and it sounds way cooler than anything the normal studio guys played <laughs> on. And there's one song on there where he, it's like a slow mid-tempo almost ballad, and he plays 16th note with a pick the whole time. Like awesome. the whole song. And uh, anyways, check out Chopper's playing and his basses. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so you mentioned that almost 90% of all the Dave Cobb stuff is this, uh, P base, the 79, 79 P. Yeah. So with, you know, you're totally allowed to name drop now, but what, what kind (laughs) of stuff have you done for Dave recently? Um, well, most recently we, um, actually today we're going to go in the studio with this English artist named Jade Bird, mm-hmm. young artist. She's fantastic. Really good. Uh, kind of a newer artist, I reckon. And, um, but this year so far, I guess in order, we, we did a James Bay record right before this pandemic started mm-hmm. and he's ridiculously good. Yeah. Great voice, great guitar player, beautiful guy, you know, just really sweet dude. And, uh, we had a great time making his record. And then uh, as soon as things opened up again, we were able to do a Travis Tritt record, which was awesome. Another, it was almost I'm like a, a huge, huge Travis Tritt fan. As everybody should be, you yeah. know. It's just he killed it. He's so good, you know. And it was almost like a, a southern rock record, you know, very Skinnered and Almond Lee. Travis you know. has so much balls. He does, man. <laughs> like he doesn't hold back. Yeah, for sure. So that was a ton of fun. We actually recorded that up at Castle Studio, and, mm-hmm. and uh, man, what a great, great week that was. So, and then um, we did uh, a new Gavin DeGraw record. Mm-hmm. Another and, talented fella. Seriously, yeah. Who I didn't know lived here. I, I knew he had a place downtown, a bar downtown. But, yeah, uh, yeah. He actually lives in Nashville too. Yeah, and uh, just great hang again you know just had a great time making that record and that's uh that's not out yet is it no none of these are out yet james bay just released his first single from the record okay and uh, actually that was nate smith on drums oh awesome which was like come on man you had fun at work we had a good time yeah that's awesome (laughs) and gavin DeGraw. i saw you again on the socials i want to say right before i moved to la maybe a few years ago mm-hmm. you were in la flown out i think to play a session <laughs> yes that was for a star is born soundtrack that's what i figured yeah yeah so with lady gaga and bradley cooper and so we spent a week in la five days out there tracking at east west studios on sunset and doing that that album and uh it was a very interesting week <laughs> You're saying that that there's a lot of a lot of shit went haywire and you can't talk about it. There's some of that for sure. <laughs> you know, also some amazing things happened. You know, the Foo Fighters were across the hall. Yeah. And um we had actually done a Chris a record with the guitar player Chris Shiflett, 
mm-hmm. here in Nashville with Dave and everything. So had that connection, and I knew Rami as well, the piano player, who's mm-hmm. an L.A. staple. Yeah, yeah, know. for sure. <laughs> but uh, so we hung with the Foo Fighters for a week, you know, and Dave Grohl is couldn't be cooler. I mean, really just beautiful guy, you know. Yeah. So we had a great time. And actually, the last day, he's like, he looks at me and Chris Powell, the drummer, and he's like, hey, you guys want to take a ride in my Tesla? I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we get in his car, and I mean, we're all like a bunch of kids. We're like, oh my gosh, we're in Dave Girl's Tesla. Yeah. You know, and he's just like, okay, put your head back. We're like, what? Torque. Torque. Yeah. He's like, trust me, my, my, I'm in my daughter choke on her gum. So <laughs> he's like, put your head back. And we're like, okay. And we're going through all these little side streets in Hollywood. I mean, it's amazing we didn't crash into something because there's like people moving stuff. There's garbage trucks. Every, I mean, yeah. it was a, it was a mess everywhere in the streets. And he's just swerving in and out of all this traffic. And we're just like, ah! and we're like we're screaming. And it's like a roller coaster ride. You know, it was crazy. So we had a good time with that. <laughs> so as far as that Stars Born record, are yeah. you on like the whole thing or? Um, I think we're on about half of the songs. Okay. You know, and, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not even sure which ones, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I, we're on that main song, though, you know, the. Um, I guess the hit from that. Yeah. You know, so, but which was cool. And Lady Gaga, man, I got to give it to her. When she sits down behind the piano mm-hmm. and starts singing and yeah. playing, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, she's, she's one of the greatest artists of our generation as far as that force of nature thing behind yeah. the piano. That's, that's what I've sur- surmised to just in my own tastes. Yeah. So I would never take anything talent wise away from her. You know, yeah. She's just, yeah. When when it's time to work, she's working. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah, killer. And Bradley Cooper, totally nice guy. You know, and he came in. He did some singing too. He sounded great. You know? Yeah. So it was cool. It was a good week. You know, Andrew Dice Clay stepped in. Oh man. The studio. I mean, then that's that's a whole nother sit down yeah. session. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole. Yeah, but that's Hollywood for it's, you. Right? I was gonna say, man, it couldn't have been more Hollywood. Yeah. You know, I, like I started having flashbacks of when I first moved to Hollywood. I was like, this is the stuff that happens, man. It just, yeah. It just, it's just so surreal. Like, none of this makes sense, but it's happening. Yeah, and the magic (laughs) of that place is that a lot of things that don't make sense happen. Yeah. And can happen any given day. Absolutely. Katy Perry came in one day with her little dog, and, you know, Lady Gaga was like, hey, everybody, it's Katy Perry. Say hi. I'm like, hi, Katy Perry. Yeah. She's kind of goofy. She's like, hey, it's my dog. Yeah. Hi, dog. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, what are you going to do? You know, like, yeah. So funny, man. But yeah, it was, that was a cool week. It was fun. So Dave records most of his... He works a lot in the old RCA Studio A, right? That's right, yeah. Because I was uh, on the motorcycle that I came here on yesterday in between my two podcasts yesterday, Uh and I sat down at this Shell station in Leaper's Fork. Gentleman comes up, he asks all about me. (laughs) I guess I don't look like I'm from these parts. (laughs) 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 And and, uh, and, uh, turns out he's the owner of that studio. Oh, yeah. He said, I didn't make any money. I just bought it. No, he saved it. Yeah, he said, I just wanted to save it. He said, that was not a good... But then he told me he owned a bunch of other things, too. And He's doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice guy. Aubrey, I want to say his name is. Yep, exactly. So I talked to Aubrey for a while, and and it was a Hollywood moment. Another guy pulls in his car, sees my Indian motorcycle, runs up to me, and it's Mike Wolf from American Pickers, the host of that TV show. (laughs) And he hands me his number. He goes, I want to ride with you. And then... (laughs) <laughs> and, then, and then and he says butch walker lives just right here too he's not in la right now he's here all summer come and ride with us unbelievable and i'm like am i in la but 
Yeah. Not? Seriously. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's everybody's moving from LA, man. You know, yeah. it's it's becoming the yeah the thing out Especially here. that area down in yeah, Leapersport. Yeah. Stapleton lives out there. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a crazy. I gotta say, you know, like on the session scene, man, it's really in you know, I, I don't like to drop names, but this one I was like bucket list for sure. We did a Barry Gibb record last year. Yes. And it was just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you know, and, and we did all old BG stuff. Oh wow! So you got to re-record those classics that already have Some the most them, greatest yeah. bass lines ever on them. No doubt. I mean, and the way those songs were written was so clever. You know, there's never a bridge; it's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, chorus, chorus. You yeah. know, and that's that's all you need. You know. Yeah. And and the thing is, it was a, uh, I guess it'd be a duets record. You know, because he had <clears throat> every day it was a different artist would come in. He had Brandy Carlisle. You know, the first day that I was there was Dolly Parton. So I'm like sitting 10 feet away from Barry Gibb and Dolly Parton looking at each, looking at each other, yeah. singing to each other. And yeah. I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me. No, like, I mean, the, you know, <laughs> those are those are legendary artists. And I, I think the reason they've gotten to that point is probably when they're in the studio, they are probably still as all about it as they ever were. For sure. You know. And it's funny because, you know, they'll still show their little bit of insecurities, you know, with oh, things. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, man, like, this is deep. This is really because Dolly recorded at that studio, too, back yeah. in the day, you know. And she's just like, boy, this brings back. I mean, she, she walks into the room. I had never met her before, but she's instantly family. You know, she's one yeah. of those people like, oh, well, I guess I've known you forever then. You know? Yeah. It's that kind of thing with her. And Barry, too, he was he couldn't have been sweeter. You know, he was cool as just could be so and and then you know throughout the month it was just a different artist that you know keith urban came in one day and um oh gosh uh, miranda lambert jay um jay from the rival sons came in and it was just one after another they were just all killing it you know everybody was just you know they blended so well with him i gotta say keith urban as far as like the tone and the blend, mm -hmm. he really fit the part. Man. I can see that. Yeah, because he, he's got that little higher mid-range voice. And they're countrymen too, right? Aussies. Yeah. Originally. Mm -hmm. Yep. You mentioned you're doing something later today, session-wise, and, yeah. and so the pandemic isn't shooting you in in both feet. Maybe one, but it's not, not both. Man, I, I got a good. You know, you know, baseball bat to the shin, maybe. Yeah. But uh, no guns came out. I get, get, didn't get shot in the foot, luckily. So, but yeah. you know, it's the weird thing is not being able to play in front of people. Yeah. Know, the live show aspect thing. Yeah. You know, I really, I, I'm, I'm, I was telling somebody yesterday, I'm one of the luckiest people I know as far as the session stuff goes. Mm -hmm. You know, because I've been doing a lot here at home as well, and you know, but man, I, I, I just miss being out and just being around people yeah you know any chance i get to do that man it's like oh this is what it feels like to be normal yeah you know because it's my wife gets to go to work every day and do her thing and be normal and, and be normal you know yeah. and i'm just like here going well okay when's the next session that i can go to yeah you know and then you know we're still kind of keeping distance and you know wearing masks and stuff too so it's still a, there's a vibe of this thing going on you know mm -hmm. but yeah to be normal again man it's can't wait for that yeah no <laughs> i i i concur that the live thing is you know on one side it's like yeah we like to 
be on stage and be seen and show off a little, but there's yeah. there's a deeper community aspect where where we're built to communicate with other humans like this. Yeah. We might not all be very verbally talented <laughs> or, or, you know, or, or, or even there's some live performers that are very outgoing on stage or introverts off stage, but mm -hmm. the stage thing is, is just, it's how we just have our normal place in life. Absolutely. To us, it's like going to the grocery store, but more fun. It's just something you do <laughs> a few times a week, and it just has to be done. That's right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. You, you know? know? It's just, it feels good to know that I have to go somewhere tonight. Yeah. If that's the case. You know, it's like, but here it's just like, well, okay, I've done whatever tracks I needed to do, and I guess I'll walk the dogs and figure something out, you know? So you mentioned the home recording twice now in the last few mm -hmm. minutes, so I got to yeah. ask what your sort of, standard home recording how my, you go in my setup man it couldn't be simpler really um all i i have a macbook with a logic 10 on it mm -hmm. and then um, i use a focus right scarlet 2 interface mm -hmm. and then um i'll either use i have like three D di's that i kind of go back and forth with I w uh, because this is a nerd podcast and we got yeah. nothing but time i would like for you to talk <laughs> about all three di's okay i I know that Acme that you're holding right now, I bought yeah. because of you. Oh, I'd nice. Had my, I had my eyes on it for a very long time. Yep. I watched all the YouTube videos. I love the price point. Yep. And uh, on the YouTube videos, I just sort of noticed it didn't have the big, expensive, pretty low end of some of the other ones. No. But it had like a, a pretty uh, fuck you mid-range that I was really into. Yeah. And then time. I remember writing you a message after you and I hadn't talked in forever going, is this about right? And you're like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you nailed it. You yeah. Know? It was like, yeah. I mean, really, I think those are the best suited for a P bass because mm -hmm. it, it really enhances that mid range that you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of just says, yeah, I'm going to stab you in the face with this tone. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's mm -hmm. a great tone. You're going to like it, but mm -hmm. it's going to stab you in the face, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I like about it. It's, it, it, it's, it's kind of a no bullshit di very much so you know I passive mean, there's no knobs of any kind really yeah i mean you know unless you use it as an attenuator which i never do but same you know so but yeah it, and it's a big green box it looks cool yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, know? you know and any bass player if it says motown on it we're gonna get a semi chub yeah and acme <laughs> you know i feel yeah. like i'm in a warner brothers cartoon every time i use it you yeah know? so it's like even better i just keep waiting for the anvil to fall so you know? the other two that i've yeah. been getting some use lately this is a, a custom-built one from a guy here in town named Paul Skadova. It's, uh, I couldn't tell you what's in it. I'm not really super tech-savvy whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. I just know what sounds good and, and what I like. I like to use this for uh, more modern stuff, you mm -hmm. know, because it does have a little bit of a sweeter, warm bottom. Mm -hmm. So it, it'll make Bartolini pickups in your MTD not sound too modern, I would assume. It'll sweeten it out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it, it kind of rounds it out a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, exactly. But we've got, I mean, nothing against like the Fat Boys or anything like that, but for me, that's almost too much low end yep. sometimes. And I'm like, this still has the low end, but with definition, you know, where I feel like it gets lost. You know, something, a DI that I really want to get is the Demeter, mm -hmm. the Tube DI. I've always liked those a lot too. Mm -hmm. I've just never gotten around to getting one, so... But this one kind of fits that that space. And f I'll take a picture of this one too. But it's brown and it's completely uh, it's just incognito, except there's Sharpie with Brian's name on it. <laughs> just in case anybody else had a brown box laying around. Yeah, right, right. I would know it's mine. 
<laughs> um, this other one is from the cable company that I, I, I'm sponsored with and love their cables, but uh, Cordial. It's a German company, cable company. Mm-hmm. And at the last NAM show I was at, they're like, hey, do you need a direct box for anything? I'm like, well, yeah, I, I would love to try one. And come to find out, this thing sounds great. It it kind of beat out the Motown in a session I did because um, I was using more modern bass. You know, I was using mm-hmm. one of my Saratoga jazz basses. And, man, the, it kind of, it basically, where the Motown stops, it keeps going mm-hmm. as far as widening the range of the low end and the high end mm-hmm. and with a still a really clear focused mid-range. Mm-hmm. So I was super impressed with this. And the reason I like that it's a two, um, basically two DIs built in one, um, is if I use my pedal board, Mm -hmm. then I I have the exact same DI. Yes. Which I never had before because I'd always have to mix and match whatever DIs I had or what a studio had to run a pedal board through. And then now I can do it all through one and I have a cohesive DI send at least. Yeah. Which is great. But yeah, these are really, really. And that is a cor- Cordial C O R D I A L C E S O 2. Two channel isolated DI box. There you go. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, man. Yep. Dig it. And the cables, too, I got to say, are just outrageous good. They used, the only reason that I noticed the difference was they used three times more copper than most other cables. Mm-hmm. So that just how, allows more sound yeah. to, to go through the cable. Do you find more, it's more of, a, it retains the gain and the volume, or do you find an extended range? How do you, how would you describe it? I think it just really, truly, whatever the, the bass, especially for bass, I, I think cables really matter more mm-hmm. than, because I was never that guy until I heard the difference. Yes. You know, and I noticed the difference at a NAM show where it's loud as hell around me. And you can't really play loud. And you can't really play loud. And Andrew Gachet was ch- testing it out. He mm-hmm. put one cable in of a company I shall not name, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he played, sounded great, puts in this Cordial cable, boom, the bass just opened up, you know, and it just became a bigger sound, you know, and clearer and noticeably different, you know, mm-hmm. didn't change any knobs, no settings, nothing. It was just strictly a cable change. And I really couldn't believe my ears, you know? So I immediately went over there and started talking to those guys. So yeah. it's like, Hey, what are you guys doing different? You know, they're, they're German. That's number one. They're German. They're number one. That's number one. <laughs> Ironically, the two guys that were in the booth were right next to Michael Tobias. Yeah. And their names were Michael and Tobias. Oh, wow. <laughs> It was just like, well, I guess this is meant to be. Though. Yeah, that is meant to be for you. That's funny. <laughs> and they actually sell, uh, Michael Tobias does sell their cables now through his site and everything. So they've developed a relationship. Oh. And, and half of the MTD artists are now Cordial guys, too. So I mean, looking at the, the bases you have, yep. do, do you have any sort of, uh, and obviously you're getting a lot of tones. Do you have, is there anything... You know, when you're up late at night and your brain is in non-productive mode and you're looking at reverb or eBay's or something that you're that you got your eyes on or something that you feel like you're missing. Yeah, a good Hoffner. A good Hoffner. Yeah. You have one. It's black, I have one. But you don't think it's uh, one of the better ones. It it it, it kind of has a purpose, mm-hmm. but it's a very limited thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, yeah, I could let that one go. Uh, pretty easily yeah but uh yeah there's a good Hoffner and they're hard to find because most Hoffners I pick up and I start moving switches around 
it's just crackle city yeah you know and i'm like well i guess i won't get this one because I, I just want a base that's ready to go you know yeah hoffners are not necessarily great they're instruments. not they're not nobody's paying us to endorse anything right now so we're <laughs> honest exactly uh, yeah hoffner even back in the day was never considered a high-end yeah. well-built run it over with a truck instrument you right. know obviously there's mccartney and obviously a good one sounds amazing in the studio but exactly a lot of them are not good yeah. there are dead spots and yeah. yeah big time i mean yeah it's it's not a you know that's a bass you don't go past the fifth fret yeah <laughs> you know that's where you live because the intonation too and i don't even know how to freaking intonate that thing so it's just it yeah like i said it's it, it it's cool every once in a while it's got flats on it and i play it with a pick and mute it you know yeah. and so it's a thing and honestly it's the only hollow body i have at the moment i used to have a jack cassidy mm -hmm. and just found myself not really needing it because i mean a lot of times when i use that 79p bass people think it's a flat uh, uh, excuse me a hollow body mm -hmm. you know in the record so it's uh it kind of has that thing um but yeah you know i'll I'm always kind of in the search for like a good hollow body too, either like yeah. a Gretsch or a Guild or something, you know, yeah. I don't know what Starfire, I don't know, you know, yeah. like I'm kind of always got my eyes just, or my ears open. Cause I'll never buy a, I've never bought a bass online. Just sight unseen. I can't yeah. do it. Cause yeah. I'm such a, a it's got to feel good. Yeah. Like all these bases, every single one of them to me feel good, you know, and it's, that's that's number one and obviously the sound you know so you didn't order those mtds well i i did actually i did order two yeah two of them i had made is that right yeah two of them i had made specifically. but obviously there's a trial period where you can just give it back to him if you don't feel it or yeah or be like hey i need this done or you yeah. know but um i mean he the thing about michael tobias is like I've always been a Tobias fan. I could mm -hmm. just never afford one. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so it's like when they, I went to the Summer Nam show the first time a few years ago, you know, that I couldn't believe they had a booth there. So I was like, immediately went over to his booth and started trying stuff. And the first one I tried out was this uh, five string Saratoga jazz bass mm -hmm. that he already had. And the neck was exactly what I remember in the next being just super, cause I like a symmetric neck, mm -hmm. you know, some of them are, are uh, asymmetrical where they're bigger in the, the low string area. Yeah which was weird to me, but, um, I've always liked the symmetric neck and that one was exactly that, you know, and it felt amazing. And I was like, well, that's gotta be the base, you know, get me started with the MTD thing. And then we kind of came in like a, a habit forming, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> you get one and then you're hooked and it's like, okay, yeah. what can I get next? And then the first custom one I had made was a five thirty five twenty four, which is, uh, Which again has got the exact same wood as the Saratoga does. Yeah. And uh, man, this bass is—it's bonkers good. It sounds so great. It feels great. It's uh, yeah. It's it, it it came out perfect. Michael, when he was making it, he was like, "This is probably one of the better sounding basses we've made in a while." And I was like, "That's amazing coming from you." Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's the grandfather of luthiers, man. He's. He's the guy that everybody kind of looks to, you know, and gets yeah. advice from. And so to hear that from him was just really something. But, yeah, that thing is, whew, it, it records so well. It's amazing. Just really happy with that guy. And I use this a lot, you know, if it's more of a pop thing, more modern thing. Yeah. For sure. But, uh, 
yeah, just killer. So looking around the room here to just make sure I'm not missing anything, yep. I do see an amplifier. Do you record with an amp much at all, or is it m most? That's eh, more for pr uh, practice, practice or lessons. You yeah. Know? Um, I am waiting, actually. I just got a, a behind you there, a, a flip-top head, mm -hmm. the new Ampeg. Yep. Still in the box because <laughs> I don't have the cabinet yet. Yeah. It didn't ship with it, so yeah. I'm waiting on the cabinet. You know, because I, I just got to deal with Ampeg, which okay. I'm really stoked about. Yeah, of course. You know, I was a GK guy for many, many years, and, you know, they've been great, and I don't have a bad thing to say about them. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of where my ear's going yeah. and where my sound is going, you know. And I have I really love the new stuff that Ampeg is doing. Yep. You know, so I, a good buddy of mine, Dino, yep. you know, everybody knows the Ampeg guy, you know. Yeah. But I've known Dino since '95, and yeah. you know, like he was an MI guy as well. So yeah. we uh, we we reconnected and just started talking. And after the Nam show, I thought about it a lot, and I was like, you know what, I'm putting the call in, and you know, just kind of see what we could do. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And so so specifically, if you're going to Ampeg, is it one product then that that you're looking at using more or? Um, for now, the flip top, mm -hmm. you know, because I will take that to bigger stu stu uh, studios, and I may even start messing around here yeah. trying to record with it as well. Yeah. You know, I just uh, never need to, you know, because yeah. there's so many good amp simulators and they really are in software, you know, especially the Ampeg one in the UA stuff. Yeah, is it's pretty great, you know, yeah. and they know that too, so yeah. they're like. Yeah, cool. You know, as long as you know, Ampeg, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it says it on a logo on your computer or if it's a piece of hardware, <laughs> they don't right. care. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to get the flip top, though, because it's, you know, studio staple for forever now. So yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. And then they got a lot of the new stuff. I'm going to get probably a 115. And they make the little tiny heads now, too, like everybody. So. Yeah, the Class D. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've played the little Mesa Boogie Class D head for many years now. And right on. A lot of the other brands, I don't necessarily love the tiny heads, but they are getting better and better. Yeah. Because I get a lot of it through my house because of my premier right, guitar writing gig. Right. I can tell every year they're becoming more and more, if not amazing, they're becoming more and more brand to brand. You never get one that you couldn't get through a gig with. You For know? sure. Yep. Which I thought in the early years when the first ones came out, no brands mentioned, but a few of the ones that everyone was hopping on, I couldn't. Couldn't get behind. Couldn't sound like me through. Yeah. And that's, and that's important. Yeah. You know, that's the thing for sure. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Well, I think we've gone through most of the things here. And we're, we're, yeah, we're about an hour, man. I can't thank you enough for Absolutely. Uh, having me to your home and for telling people about the records you've been on lately and your bases and your Hollywood days and, yep. and all the good stuff. Right on. And I got to throw this in. Yes. Wes and I did a record together called Crazy People Dance Party. Yes, please promote that. You Take can get all it, the time you want. You can get it on iTunes or Spotify, whatever. But uh, And my website, brianallenonbass.com. You can buy it through there, too. Well, it's a link to iTunes. So, But, yeah, check that out. It's a bunch of wacky music, and we had a bunch of guests come in. We had Robin Ford play on it and... A lot of local guys, Mike Valeris and Val Lucepu, and I uh, just messed his last name up. But anyway, yeah. you know, you know the guys. So it's that, <laughs> that's Wes Little, the drummer we talked about earlier, and and Brian, who are uh, uh, they're both incredible individually, but they play so much together that every time they play, it just sounds like fun. So you guys got to check it out. Crazy right people dance party. Yes, clinically speaking, is the name of the group, I guess. But, yes. Uh, 
Yeah, crazy people dance party. All right. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. Victor, thank you, man. No worries. I hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Brian. Uh, before I get out of here, I want to let you guys know that there are ways to support the podcast on Patreon. It is TLS Podcast. On PayPal, it's the Lowdown Society at gmail.com. On Cash App, it is dollar sign TLS Podcast. And on Venmo, it's at Victor Broden. So if you want to support the podcast, feel free to throw a cent or two into any of those places, and I'll keep making these. Traveling and talking to people in other places is definitely one of the more fun parts. So I hope to be able to continue to do that. Uh, you guys take care, and there'll be more of these coming very, very soon. Uh, until next time, stay funky, stay low, and I'll see you right back here on the Lowdown Society Podcast.